me saying that song last night, it struck me. Um, there's a good chance that many of you are just exactly like me, where at times we get discouraged in our walk with the Lord, perhaps, right? And we wonder, you know, am I doing this well? Or we know that we're not doing it well and we need to do it better. And God says, oh, come to the altar. My arms are open wide. Church, I want to encourage you in the discouragement that Jesus loves us unconditionally. We are his bride. He will never leave us nor forsake us. And so in that discouragement, I am just encouraging you to run to the altar because the Lord receives us. He loves us. We get discouraged, but I want to encourage you. Run back again and again and again and again. And when you're tired of running back, run back again and again because He loves us that much and His arms are open wide to us. I get discouraged, you bet. Lord, can I do this the way you're calling me to do it? And he just says, come, my arms are open wide. And so if that's you today, the Lord loves you exactly where you're at. He can't love you any more than when you're obedient or if you're disobedient. He loves you exactly the same. It's who he is. Run to the altar. God's arms are open wide to us, church. Don't run from him. Run to him. Please, I implore you. I beg you. It's the place that we need to be. Amen? Oh, I love, I love this. I love you guys. We were gone last weekend, and apparently I had no idea that it was about wives submitting to their husbands. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I didn't know. And um, so what's funny about that is my wife's the one that booked the vacation. So that's really, you know, she's obviously ducking some truth in her own life, but I'll let you take that up with her. I listened to the, or actually watched the video online, and uh, oh my goodness, Pastor Dave tore it up. But he was funny. He kind of threw me under the bus if you were here, that I, you know, that I'm ducking out of, you know, the wives submitting to their husbands uh, passage and, and went to the other side of the country. I laughed so hard and called him the other day and we laughed and laughed and I says, I'm, I'm going to fight back, Pastor Dave. And he says, that's okay, I can handle it. Um, amazing. I was enthralled from the minute I hit play to the very end. As good as I've ever heard anybody talk about that passage, he did such a remarkable job. We're so fortunate to have Pastor Dave as one of the pastors at this church. I know you know that. Let me open up with a really heavy quote from C.S. Lewis, as I think all quotes from C.S. Lewis are a little on the heavy side. It's out of his book called Mere Christianity. He says this, he says, Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your time and so much of your money and so much of your work. I want you. I have not come to torment your natural self, but to kill it. I will give you a new self instead. In fact, I will give you myself. And my own will shall become yours. He didn't come to torment our natural self. He came to kill our natural self. And the reason is, is because in our natural self, nothing good dwells. And we can only do the will of our Father when we are empowered by the Spirit of the Almighty God. And so, 
It says for us to pick up our cross daily and crucify our flesh daily so that we indeed can do His will. And when you talk about this whole thing of submission, the church submitting to God and wives submitting to their husbands and husbands submitting to authority, we're all submitting in some level. We cannot do that. You can't even have the topic of conversation about submission unless we die to ourselves. It can't happen. We must die to ourselves and be completely filled with the Spirit of God in order to do the things of God. Amen? Church, we're in Ephesians chapter 5. We're, we're finishing chapter 5. We're in verses 25 through 33. We're going to read that, and then I'm going to say a few things, and then we're going to pray. It's good to be with you guys. We're so blessed. I am praying, I am praying, I am praying, I am praying more now than ever, and I will continue, that this church continues to be a light that shines brightly in this city for Jesus Christ. An uncompromising light that shines. A light that shines God's Word because that's what sets people free, that we will be a, a, a foundation, a pillar of truth for this community. I hope you're praying the same thing, that people will run to this place, that they would run to the Lord because truth is what sets us free, and it's why we're here. Amen? Ephesians 5, starting in chapter, uh, verse 25. Husbands, <laughs> if, if, a woman, if you were here last week, I assume you brought your husbands. Good for you. Very wise. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all of her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church. Because we are members of his body. And for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as himself. And the wife must see to it that she respect her husband. As I kind of made reference earlier in, 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 uh, in a little bit of humor, I hope, um, before we pray, I feel uh, compelled to even uh, further discuss last week's message about wives submitting to their husbands. It, it appears that Pastor Dave misrepresented some important information about me skipping town. Um, he, he, I, see, my version is that he diligently pleaded for that text, something about his wife Joni needing to hear from the Lord. And, and I was only on vacation because that's the week that my wife wanted to go and I wanted to be submissive to my wife. So apparently we both have issues. Just kidding. But I, I joked to Dave, I says, you really had the easy part because you only had three verses. I got nine, right? Anyway, let's pray. Lord, we love you. It's good to, to laugh about the things that... Um, we need to take serious um, because they're true and we giggle, but it's good for us to wrestle. Father, we are here. I believe every one of us because we want to know what it means to be submissive. We are your bride and you are our groom and you love us so well. And so we submit to you and we're learning how to do that each day. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for teaching us how to be submissive. We love you. We thank you. It's in the mighty name we pray. And everybody said. So after wrestling with the text for a couple hours, I was just trying to come up with an outline. I'm like, what, what outline represents this? And after a couple hours, this is what I came up with. 
<laughs> it's not a typo. But let me walk you through it just in case you're confused. The first three verses we're going to discuss is about husbands, love your wives. And then we're going to get to the next three verses, and it's going to be about husbands, love your wives. And then we're going to wrap it up with the last three verses in husbands, love your wives. Okay, you follow? All right. <laughs> Look at verse 25. Where do, we, where do we get this outline from? Verse 25 says, husbands, love your wives. Verse 28 says, so husbands ought also to love their own wives. Verse 33 says, nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife. In these nine verses, the word love is mentioned six times in these nine verses. In all six occurrences, it's the Greek word what? What Greek word is it for love in these six occurrences? Agape. We've heard that word before, perhaps. Agape. The agape word, the, the Greek word agape, is the, the word that most resembles, exactly resembles, the love that Christ has for us. Let me give you a definition on the screen. This is one of many things I'm going to share about agape. It's to have a strong, non-sexual affection and love for a person and their good as understood by God's moral character. It's especially characterized by a willing <laughs> forfeiture of rights or privileges in another person's behalf. How much agapian are we doing during the course of the week as defined by this? How much of that do we do each week? Characterized by a willing forfeiture of our rights and privileges on behalf of somebody else. That's not what our world teaches today, not even close. They teach, the world teaches the exact opposite. This is really going against the grain of our culture. The Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible says a few things. It says agape, I love this, is the first and last word in Christian theology and in Christian ethics. Agape is the first and last word in our theology and in our ethics. We must start and we must end in agape love. There are four Greek words for love. We have one word for love. It's the word love. Greek has four. There's eros, which is where we get erotic from. It's sexual love, and it does not occur at all in the New Testament. There's phileo, and that's about 30 times in Scripture. That's brotherly love or friendship, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Then there's storge, S-T-O-R-G-E. It's a natural affection between family members, and it just appears occasionally in Scripture. And then, of course, by far, by a mile, outweighing all those other words is the love word agape in the Greek throughout Scripture, all throughout Scripture. And agape means, <laughs> right? We're going to understand this through Christ's eyes, right? Agape means to love the undeserving despite disappointment and rejection. To love the undeserving despite disappointment and rejection. I'm to love you in spite of the fact that I might be disappointed and rejected by you. And you're to do the same for me. To love you when you don't deserve it. Because that's what Christ did for us, is it not? He loved us when we don't deserve it. He loves us because He is love, Scripture says, when we don't deserve it. 
Though agape has more to do with moral principle than with how we feel, it never means a cold religious kindness from duty alone, as Scripture abundantly proves. A few more quotes from C.S. Lewis. He says this about agape. He says, agape is all giving, not getting. All giving, not getting. Have you ever loved, hoping to get something back? That's not agape love. All giving, not getting. He also says this. I love this. God loves us, not because we are lovable, but because He is love. Not because He needs to receive, but because He delights to give. And so we are not only to extend agape love, but that agape love will bring a delight in us, that we will be delighted. How can we do that in our flesh? I don't think that's possible. How can I extend agape love in my flesh? impossible. We need the Spirit of God and only the Spirit of God. The Apostle Paul, he talks about it too. In the early church, the early church grasped, they got a hold of this revolutionary principle that love is enough. Paul quotes Jesus himself declaring that love fulfills the whole law. Paul writes in Romans 13, he writes this, he says, owe nothing, you owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. And if there's any other commandment, it's all summed up in this saying. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Agape love, church, it's fierce. It's fierce. Agape, biblical agape love, it is fierce. And that's why Christ is and was so fierce. Because he was all agape love. Love is for Paul the law of Christ. Love is for Paul the law of Christ. It's supreme and sufficient for everything. Look at... Go back a little to your left. We were in Galatians a few months ago. So just go back to Galatians a little to your left. Go back to chapter 5. The law of Christ. Love is for Paul the law of Christ. It is supreme and sufficient. Look at Galatians 5 verse 6. For in Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision. We're in Galatians 5 6. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. We can't just have faith. Are you a person of faith? Yes. What means something, what this verse says is what means something is your faith working through agape love. That's how we know our faith is real. If our faith is is expressing itself with agape love. The only thing that means anything, 5 verse 6 says, is faith working through love. Look at verse 14 of chapter 5 in Galatians. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. In the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And look at chapter 6, verse 2 of Galatians. Where it says to bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Mm. Let me show you this picture. This this is one of many pictures. This was from Hurricane Harvey, right? I mean, just devastating things that happened in Texas from this hurricane. On August 30, 
a little over a month and a half, or about a month and a half ago, August 30, 2017, um, this was in the New York Post. It said, two volunteers who set out to rescue flood victims in Texas went missing along with two others when their small boat got caught in rushing waters, and they have been confirmed dead, every port said Wednesday. The other two men are still missing, which also had a pair of journalists on the boat too. The reporters were saved along with a seventh member of the group. The two men, Jorge Perez, a married father of two, and Yahir Vizweth, 25, were confirmed dead. Vizweth's brother, Benjamin, 31, and Gustavo Rodriguez Hernandez, 40, are still missing. Okay. Let me ask you this. Which would you rather be? The flood victim or the dead rescuer? Which would you rather be? The flood victim or the dead rescuer? I'm guessing none of us want to be the dead rescuer. I'm just guessing. We don't want to die. Nobody wants to die. Most of us would say I'd rather be the flood victim. I don't want to be the dead rescuer. Men. (laughs) Men. We are clearly, divinely, and scripturally called to the dead rescuer role. That's what we're called to. That's how we're to love our spouses. In my premarital counseling of the weddings I've done over the years, I ask every couple the same question at one point during the counseling. I look at the wife and I said, if your husband-to-be loved you like Christ loved the church, would it be easy for you to submit to him? You know what they say every time? Absolutely. If he loved you, I asked you guys that, didn't I? Yeah. John loved you like Christ loved the church. Could you submit to a man like that? Their eyes get big, and they nod their head yes, and the husband starts to sweat. No pressure, right men? When Jesus, I said this a couple weeks ago, when Jesus washed the feet of the disciples, He was teaching us that the greatest is He who uses His authority to build others up. That's our role, men. So our first stanza, if you don't remember, our first stanza is, Husbands, love your wives. Let's read verses 25, 26, and 27 out of Ephesians 5. Verses 25 through 27. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself up for her, the dead rescuer role, so that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word, that He might present to Himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. Here's the thing. Paul leaves no mystery. He leaves zero mystery here in what he's trying to say. He's not beating around the bush, man. Husbands, love your wives. Huh, I wonder what he means by that. What he means by that is husbands, agape your wives. In fact, as we've already noted, he mentions it three times. It's <laughs> probably a reason for that, right, men? What did you say? What did you say, Paul? Oh, I got it this time. But here's the thing. If we're not provided with any particulars, if that's all he said, 
just by itself, husbands love your wives. I, I would guess, I would guess, and, and perhaps I'm giving us men way too much credit here, but I would guess that most of us would know what this would look like. I think we would know what that means to agape our wives. If that's all Paul wrote, men, you know, husbands love your wives. But Paul takes no chances. Being a man, he probably is like, man, I better clarify this. And so perhaps he knows differently and he explains to us exactly what that looks like. And so he continues, husbands, love your wives. How? Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Oh, that's how. Just as Christ. So when we talk about marriage men, if we're, you know, if we're having men talk and we're talking about marriage roles, are we more prone to talk about submission or sacrifice? Are we more prone to talk about the wife's role of submission or, or our role of sacrifice? We can't, we can't do our wife's role. We have to do our role. Our role, men, is to sacrifice. It's between them and the Lord if they submit. Our role is to sacrifice. See, there's two key words in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. And here's the two key words. Just as. Ooh, really? Just as? Just as? Not similar to, Lord? Not comparable to, but just as? Yeah, just as. Men, it's one of the biggest reasons we must study Christ so that we know how to treat our spouses and women in general. We must study Christ. We can't be men unless we do study Christ. We can't, right? Here's the deal. There's, I think there's a, isn't there like a bumper sticker like real men love Jesus? Is that what it is? Real men agape their wives. You can love Jesus all you want, but if it doesn't express itself in agape in your wife, you ain't a real man. I get the bumper sticker. I get it. If you have one, don't take it off. I get it. Buy me one. But buy me another one that says men agape their wives. Paul, listen, Paul's lifting married love to the highest standard possible. That's what he's doing in our text. The highest standard possible. It's the standard of Christ loving us. That's what he's doing. And so I ask you men, (laughs) do you do the same? Do you hold the love of your spouses to that highest standard that Paul has set for us? How can, how can we do that? How can we perform at the standard in our flesh? We can't do it. So why? That's the how. Why? Well, here's the first why. In verse 27 says so. Or verse 26. So that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. What that means, very briefly, is by our obedience, men, by our obedience to God's Word, the husband contributes towards cleansing his wife into Christ-likeness. That's a huge responsibility. It's a huge responsibility. Hopefully you engage my wife and just say, wow, Pastor Mark's doing a good job. I hope, right, that I am helping her become Christ-like. 
The, the second reason why is it says in verse 27, the first part of 27, so that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Spots are caused by defilement on the outside, the things that come in at us that try to ruin our walk with the Lord. And wrinkles are caused by decay on the inside, our, our fleshly, uh, sinful nature. And so we help get rid of the defilement from the outside and keep them pure on the inside. I love 2 Corinthians 4.16. It says that we're not to lose heart. Though the outer man is decaying, yet we can be renewed inwardly. We might be wrinkling outwardly, but our wrinkles are going away inwardly. And for those of us who aren't 25 anymore, I love this passage. Right? Like, see my unwrinkly self on the inside. We're being renewed. Our wrinkles go away as we become more sanctified. Oh, what a thing of beauty. And then the third reason why is so that we present our spouses as holy and blameless before the Lord. That's what the end of 27 says. And all that's doing is when you go back to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, where Paul opens with this, he says that we were chosen in Him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before the Lord. And so we, like Christ did for us, we do that for our spouses so that we can help present them as holy and blameless before the Lord. So men, it's not that with our wives, like, well, you have your spiritual life and I have my spiritual life. No, we are one with our spouses and we contribute to our wives' spiritual care and nurturing. Our second stanza, if you recall, is husbands love your wives. Let's read verses 28, 29, and 30. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. Boy, those are two massive words, men, for our wife, for our wives. Just as Christ also nourishes and cherishes the church because we are members of his body. So these are some interesting verses here. Men, let me ask you this. Is Paul simply encouraging us in these verses to fall in love with our wives as much as we have fallen in love with ourselves? It's kind of funny, right? It's like, yeah, oh, he just wants me to love her as much as I love me. It's not exactly what Paul's saying. What he's saying is this, because it's, it's, it's big. You've got to understand this concept. What Paul's telling us is that Christ and the church are inseparable. Christ and the church are inseparable. They are two sides of the same coin. Christ is the head, and we, the church, are the body of Christ. You cannot speak of Christ without speaking of the church, and you can't speak of the church without speaking of Christ. It can't be done. Four times in our text, verse 25, 27, 29, and 32, Christ is mentioned with the church. Christ the church, Christ the church, Christ the church, Christ the church. He's making a point that Christ and the church are inseparable as are husband and wife. Do you get that? Christ cannot separate himself as the head of the body from the body of Christ. He can't do it. Christ and the church are inseparable as are husband and wife. Listen, we're not married to our wives. We are one flesh with our wives. Do you see the difference? We're not married to our wives. 
This tells us that we are one flesh with our wives. That's a big difference, church. Look at the language. Look at what verse 28 says. Husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Verse 29, no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ also does because we are members of his body. And then it says in verse 31 that they, the two, at the end of verse 31, it says the two shall become one flesh. And so, with this in mind, it makes me wonder. What things, right? So if, if Christ is inseparable from the church, as we are to be inseparable from our wives, in thinking of Christ, what things can we recall? I don't know how long you've all been walking with the Lord, but what things can we collectively recall that Christ has done against his own body? I can't think of a thing. I don't know if you can. I, I, I dare say none of us can say, well, this is what Christ did against his own body. What things can we recall that Christ has done against his own body? Verse 29 says no one ever hated his own body. How has or how does Christ hate his own body? In, in no way. In no way. How has or does Christ <laughs> nourish and cherish, which is also what verse 29 says. That's the opposite. How has and how does Christ nourish and cherish his own body? Oh, well, let me tell you. And we probably collectively would just don't have enough time in how Christ nourishes and cherishes his body. As impossible, as impossible as it would be for Christ to neglect his body, the same must be true for us men about our wives. That's the link. Does that make sense? As impossible as it would be for Christ to neglect his body, the same men must be true for us. Wow. We, the church, his bride, we gladly submit when we see, know, and understand all that the groom does for us. Right? It's true. He's the bridegroom, we're the bride. We, the church, his bride, gladly submit when we see, know, and understand all that the groom does for us. And so we study the word so that we understand what the groom does for us. So that we as a bride submit to him. It's powerful. It's so powerful. Our third stanza is husbands love your wives. Let's look at Ephesians 5, 31, 32, and 33. Verse 31 says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And he says, this mystery is great, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you is to love his own wife even as himself. And the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. So there's some encouragements that we can take away from these, from these verses. The first encouragement is this, that Christ in the flesh has inseparably, inseparably been attached to us. Christ in the flesh has inseparably been attached to us. We can count on him doing all that is mentioned in Scripture. 
We can count on that. We can count on him doing all that is mentioned in our passage and all through Scripture. That's the first encouragement. The second encouragement is that we men, husbands, we can do and be exactly what Christ is to the church, to our wives. That's, that's a massive encouragement. That we can do and be all the things that Christ is to the church, we can do and be that to our spouses. How? Verse 18 tells us. Remember verse 18 earlier in the chapter? Don't be filled with wine, but be filled what? With the Holy Spirit. When we're talking about submission, we're going to need the Holy Spirit of God, the power of God. So you're not going to ask me to do something unless you're going to empower me to do it. (laughs) There must be, there must be, church, a deep thirst for God's fullness in our lives. There must be a deep thirst for God's fullness in our lives and a confession that we cannot do His will apart from His power. Can't. We must have a deep thirst for God's fullness in our lives and a confession that we cannot do His will apart from His power. We probably know that to be true, but we need to be reminded of it often. The third encouragement is this. (laughs) Do you have an assurance being a follower of Christ? Do you have some assurances being His bride? Do you feel sure about what what God says and what He does and what He promises and what you read, right? I have that. You have that. So the third encouragement is that the same assurance that we have in Christ can be found in our spouses. Our spouses should have the same assurance in us that we have in Christ. Men, this is a big challenge for us, isn't it? We are to love our wives just as Christ loved the church. Hmm. Verse 31, and perhaps in your Bible it's all capitalized, and I've mentioned this before, that's referring back to Old Testament when it does that. And so verse 31 references Genesis 2.24. And this verse indicates that, listen, sometimes we get this wrong in our marriages, This verse indicates that the bond between a husband and wife is greater than that between a parent and a child. If you have children, listen to this. The bond between a husband and wife is greater than that between a parent and a child. I heard this years ago. Years ago. And and, and it's it's, it's, it's scripturally true. Somebody said to me, you want to do the best thing for your kids? You want to raise kids well? Yes, yes I do fall in love with her mother. You want to have good kids? You want to have healthy kids? You better fall in love with her mother. It's the strongest bond that's been created. We are to be madly in love with one another. That mad agape love. And that's how kids grow up secure and adjusted. And sometimes we neglect our marriage for our kids and that's the worst thing we can do. We must not take this lightly. The bond between husband and wife is greater than that between a parent and a child. Fall in love with each other. That's the best thing you can do for your kids. You want to love your kids? Make sure you fall in love, men, with your wives. Verse 33 is a simultaneous command that each individual is to love his wife and the wife is to respect her husband. It's a simultaneous command. That means you both go first. Both do it. 
Respect your man, love your wife. Both of you. Now. Act now. Both of you. You respect, you love. See, pride, and God never blesses pride. We know this, right? God only blesses humility. Pride tells us, our flesh tells us, to wait for the other person to go first. Well, you know, if you would do this, I would do that. Well, that's, that's not going to really go too far. I hope you know that, right? Pride tells us to wait for the other person to go first. Humility, as displayed perfectly in Christ, is a first responder. <laughs> Humility is a first responder. And it inspires a response of submission both ways. Romans 5.8 says this, that God demonstrated, He didn't talk about it, He demonstrated His own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, He died for us. He acted first, men. 1 John 4.19 says this, that we love. Why do we love? Because He first loved us. We can only lead men. We can only lead biblically when we submit biblically. We can only lead biblically when we submit biblically. Look at verse 24. What things do we need to submit to biblically? Everything. Verse 24 says, As the church is subject to Christ, and the end of it it says, in everything, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Men, everything hinges upon our willingness and commitment to submit everything as Christ did. Everything hinges upon our willingness to commit and to submit everything as Christ did. Christ's ability and willingness to submit is what gave him the ability to lead. It's why we're all here. 1 Peter 2 verse 21 says this, that we've been called, you have been called for this purpose. Since Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in His steps. That's agape love. John 13, 14, and 15 says this, If I then, the Lord and Teacher, Jesus writes, if I wash your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. This word... Love, this word agape, (laughs) it means seeking the highest good for another person. Agape love means to seek the highest good for another person. How often do we extend agape love? How often do we seek the highest good for other people? Well, that takes so much time. I mean, I want to, but I'm really busy. It's hard. It's hard. I get it. It means to enlarge and enrich the lives of other people. It means to enlarge and enrich the lives of others. It's not an emotion. Agape is not an emotion. It means to seek the highest good for other people, to enlarge and enrich the lives of others. What a spectacular concept. What a spectacular concept. So, church, as we continue to to understand, to wrestle with, and to trust the agape love of Christ and His desire for our highest good, how much more will we be prepared to seek the highest good for those around us? Amen? And I believe that's why we're here. 
to understand and to wrestle with and to trust the agape love that our God has for us so that we can in turn then understand and do that for others. Men, (laughs) we are to love our wives just as Christ loved the church. And so I implore you, I beg you, I beseech you to make sure you understand how Christ loved the church. Because that's how we're to love our wives. For their highest good. And they will submit. It's not even in question. It's just not even in question. It's a high calling. It's a high challenge for us men. We must be Christ-like in order to be good husbands. There's no other way. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to invite our prayer, or I'm sorry, our worship team up, and when we're done with our closing song, our prayer team is available to the left. It's really good to see you guys. Thank you for being here. Lord, we are learning, Lord, how daily to submit to you. Lord, we men, we want to lead well, but we must follow well in order to do so. Help us, Holy Spirit, to do the things that You've called us to do. Empower us in new ways. May we take our roles as men, even if our marriages are wildly successful, may we understand this truth just a little bit more today than we did before we walked in through these doors. That we would just be amazing, loving, sacrificial, agape men towards our spouses. God, we love You. We thank You for Your mighty Word. It's in Your name we pray. And everyone said,